This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Justin Trudeau and uh, China. This is tremendously, tremendously uh, problematic. And uh, I thought it was just plain performance by the prime minister yesterday. It's difficult to say you're disappointed. You try not to expect it and roll your eyes and say, here we go again. But regardless of who you voted for in 2015, 2019, 2021, you get a say. It's very much what our show's about. I think that's what our entire radio station is about. You can imagine there's more than enough conversations where people say, you're being too hard on Doug Ford and not on Justin Trudeau. You're being too hard on Justin Trudeau and not on Doug Ford. Let's just call out things when we see them and let's deal with them in their own individual packaging. Why don't we do that? I thought it it reeked of desperation yesterday. I didn't see the proper emotion. And when I'm accused, I know when I'm accused of something, this could be the most modest thing in the world. Like, did you eat the last cookie in the in the cupboard? I'm adamant. I want to prove. I want no no doubt remaining whatsoever. No innuendo, no speculation that I didn't eat that last cookie. And everybody is a human at the end of the day. And I just didn't see that from Justin Trudeau. Let me play you some of what he said yesterday. He was asked a very specific question and instead gave us some data about how many Chinese Canadians there are. That's your first and obvious step to not answering a question uh, that is very, very specific and leading, leaving a trail of breadcrumbs that go elsewhere. Let me start by being very, very clear. There are 1.7 million Canadians who proudly trace their origins back to China. Those Canadians should always be welcomed as full Canadians and encouraged to stand for office, to get involved in their communities and to take on part of the leadership of this country. Fair enough. Han Dong can do anything he wants. Absolutely, that's true. Canadian citizen, run for office. Fantastic. Do what you need to do to be out. Wait a minute. When our highest branch of security that's meant to minimize and inform and shine spotlights on foreign threats and undue influence and the idea that basically our elections integrity can be questioned, our elections can be compromised. We've never had this in this country. We've never had an election where somebody says, I'm not sure how whether that was the right result or not. You may never have another federal election in the United States that doesn't have a percentage of the population questioning the result. And we used to say, we did until several months ago, we're different. That'll never happen to us. Look at them. That won't be us. Trudeau went on and made a point about CSIS that is absolutely uh, a dodge and an inexplicable one at that. In a free democracy, it is not up to unelected security officials to dictate to political parties who can or cannot run. That's a really important principle. We, of course, draw on the expertise every step of the way. But the suggestions we've seen in the media that CSIS would somehow say, no, this person can't run or that person can't run is not just false. It's actually damaging to people's uh, confidence in our democratic and political institutions. Okay. This is a game that's getting played right now. That's not the reporting. That's not even the speculation in the reporting. The concept is CSIS identified Chinese interference 
in that specific riding. They've identified others as well, and more names will come. This is the beginning of the game of dominoes. It isn't the end. This is the house of cards collapsing. It isn't being built. You pull one card out, they all fall down. That's why the show was named that way. That's why the slogan exists. But this is not what's being reported by... You name it, Sam Cooper, um, Mackenzie Gray, Robert Fife in the Globe and Mail this morning. No one is saying CSIS has the right and has jurisdiction to prevent candidates from running. If they did, it would have happened. That's the whole point. But CSIS went and said, we are strongly of the mind that you have a national security risk as a potential MP in this riding. And he runs for your party. And he's running as a candidate. What would you like to do about it? So, and by the way, some of the uh, parameters of the language before from Justin Trudeau was, didn't know anything about it. Never got contacted. Now he's saying there was contact. And, but, but the suggestion was, well, he can't run. CSIS told them this candidate's being assisted by China and the candidate knows it. But you can't just say then, if you're the prime minister, yeah, but he really believes in his community and his heart's in the right place, so it's all good. It wasn't, and it isn't. And even if, even if you want to give the prime minister the benefit of the doubt here, and I find it very difficult to do so. I find it incredibly difficult to do so. The constituents need to know about this. You can't go to the polls and not know this information from CSIS. I get, hey, it's, it's, it's meant to be secure for a reason. Things are meant. Security officials can't go to microphones every day and stand in front of a lecture and say, well, this is what we found out about our national security today. I understand that. But no one from CSIS was attempting to dictate to Prime Minister Trudeau or the federal Liberal Party who can't run and who can't. And he's right. But he knows that he's right already when he says that. The suggestion was what we know this and we know we've got the evidence. We've got the paperwork. We know about this candidate. What are you going to do about it? He's a national security risk and he knows it. And they let him run anyway. That's what I see. That's what I see right here. And it's a massive, massive problem. This isn't SNC Lavalin. This isn't We Charity. I mentioned yesterday on the show, I don't know if it's a scandal or if it's the scandal. The prime minister's reaction yesterday told me it's more the latter than the former. This can't be moved along. You can't say, look, a squirrel. None of that's going to work. None of that's going to work in the near term for the Liberal Party of Canada. None of it is. And our roots as a democracy are so critical and so important. And you know and I know, there's people that voted for Justin Trudeau once, twice, thrice, that are aghast by this, that are horrified by this, okay? Trudeau knows better. He knows better. He knows more than what he said yesterday. And I get the game of politics. You can't reveal all your cards, but he knows better. And if the concept is defending democracy, I saw nothing in his statements yesterday that tells me he's doing that. And if Canada's Canada's democracy is either safe or it's in danger, it's completely safe or it's got some elements of danger to it. You decide whether it's the former or the latter there. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Um, We're very pleased to be joined by the deputy mayor of the city of Toronto. We're happy to have her on. She is Jennifer McKelvey. Jennifer, thank you very much for making the time. um, And we appreciate you talking to our audience today. Well, good morning. Have the last 
couple weeks for you felt more like two months. Have, has time sort of sort of slowed a little bit? I, I I think we've all felt in the city of Toronto like we've been on a roller coaster the last several uh, several days. Yeah, it sure has. It certainly felt like two months, but I'm I'm ready for the challenge. And there's wonderful people here at City Hall that are uh, getting back to work too. And uh, we're just going to make sure that everything runs smoothly and efficiently. The election date, um, I know there was there was a lot of councillors relieved that this is getting done before July. I, I talked to a couple last week, one uh, on the air and the other off, and, and they were just panicked that, you know, a July 8th election, a July 11th election, you know what Toronto's like. It kind of it kind of empties out. We have really, really busy weekends. But Monday to Friday, um, people like to uh, retreat and, and spend their time with their families and get away once school is out. How important was it to get that date etched in stone prior to July? Well, I think it was really important. I think we had to give certainty to potential candidates uh, so that they could start planning their campaigns. And I think we needed to give certainty to Toronto residents who are excited to meet their new mayor. And uh, I think the the clerk said uh, how much time they needed for booking polling stations, hiring the staff that are needed to run the election. And uh, I think they came up with a good recommendation for us uh, at the end of June. It it was well documented when this city council was elected um, last fall that um, that it was it was going to have a different feel to it. There was going to be some some blending, some change is often really good and and really productive. And there were definitely some exciting new faces. There were wonderful people like Kristen Wong, Tam, Joe Cressy, who who gave uh, Mike Layton, who gave a lot to the city, who you worked with um, for a bunch of years. The may, how would you have described it on election night and in the first couple of weeks afterwards? It's, it's like getting new kids in your class at school. You're you're curious about them. You're finding out what makes them tick a little bit. No, for sure. And uh, in 2018, there were four new counselors. Uh, you know, Councillor Cole had been a counselor previously, and then there was myself, uh, Councillor Bradford, and Councillor Lai, and we were the new kids in, in 2018. <laughs> and here in uh, 2022, we have seven new kids on the block, and they are fantastic, and they are doing a great job here at City Hall. They really care about their communities, and we're so lucky to have them. Uh, but I will also say it was interesting mm-hmm. to do the first announcement uh, in 2018 and, you know, walk up with Councillor Bradford, and I was like, hey, we're not the new kids anymore like we we uh we actually uh have uh important roles to play here in, in city hall so uh, everything was surreal about the experience when when you got elected in 2018 obviously um the wards changed there was a lot of turmoil with uh with the amount of council seats being uh cut down by the province what were some of the things you learned that that you might have been surprised at in the first three or four months on the job you're like i, I thought i was ready for this but this was a great learning curve and and, and now i know what's going on well, it was interesting to find out the concerns that the community has and uh, how many residents do reach out to their local councillor and uh, that we really do have a big impact on our community. So uh, it was a real pleasure to get to know all the different residents um, and uh, their concerns to work with them and really to understand that this is a job about solving problems and solving local problems. And that's something I like to do. So I've loved every minute of this job since I was elected in 2018. Jennifer McKelvey is our guest. She's the deputy mayor of the city of Toronto, joining us on 640 Toronto on Toronto today. Um, I was looking at at TTC numbers from this morning um, that document January uh, with low ridership numbers on the subway and streetcars. I know you're aware of the numbers. I know all the councillors are aware, uh, as was Mayor Tory, about the importance to 
to get people back to normal, to spur confidence. Is is some of that based on what businesses are asking their employees to do? I, I saw streetcars and subways packed in the summer and in the spring for, for big events, CNE or the Caribbean Festival or, or when the Jays were in town. I saw it a little less on the, on the Mondays through Fridays. Is that what needs to change? Well, you're right. The ridership is slightly higher on the evenings and the weekends, showing that people are using the TTC uh, more frequently again for getting to their, I guess, their fun time so mm-hmm. that they're having in the city. Uh, and you're right, it is down uh, during the business hours, and uh, we certainly have to have a, a strong look at that um, and, and look at how it's changed uh, businesses across the city, right? And uh, we do know that the downtown core needs a lot of help and they want the business back. So um, it's a huge work in, prog- in uh, pro- progress, and uh, I know that Shelley Carroll is leading uh, some tables around that as well that I'm looking forward to, to learning more about and trying to help out in any way that I can. Is it as simple as if transit is successful, numbers get up again, it picks the city back up, it generates revenue. It, it obviously means people are headed from point A to B, not just to work, but maybe out um, and, and stimulates businesses in, in the core. Is it is it just that simple that we need transit to work to make the city work? Well, it's an interesting proxy that you you highlight there that, uh, you know, showing people out on TTC is showing that they're out and they're, they're spending and they're boosting our economy. Um, there's there's a lot of work that we have to do in that area to get people back on the the TTC. And we know we need to do this because Toronto is so heavily relied upon the fare box. And uh, when people aren't riding TTCs and the city is facing a a big financial burden, and that's something that uh, in in my current role, I know I need to undertake those important conversations with the provincial and the federal government uh, to try to look at how we can have a new deal for municipalities and and help with some of that. So very much a, a work in progress. Um, we're hoping that with all the big festivals coming back this year in their full form, uh, you'll hear more about that later today, that, uh, you know, that's also going to help to to drive ridership and try, drive excitement about uh, coming back into the city, coming back into work. Is it really fair? I'd ask if it's fair to look at, at 2022 as, you know, as sort of the bounce back year, because I'd make the case that we had, we had a very paralyzing storm in, in the middle of January. We had schools closed and we were sort of um, in in a form of lockdown for January and some of February. Mask mandates weren't dropped till April. I'm not, I, I think the last half of the year was a ton more activity on transit and just in the city than the first six months. I'm not sure, I'm not sure year over year, January to February is fair to compare, but that's me saying that. No, I, I think you're right. I think definitely like last, January and much of the year. In fact, I think there may have been some lockdowns still even last year. Yeah. Um, I think it's a big, a big haze of COVID, right? And trying to remember when all those times were that we had to stay at home. Uh, so you're right. I think that uh, 2023 is, is going to be really be the year that we're back to, to normal. Um, the data that we have this year around transit ridership, around people coming back to work in the downtown core is going to be important to inform the plans that uh, we need to develop and uh, to move our city forward. It, it is one of those things. Are, are there things you've realized as city councilor that are just inevitable big city things? I think about snow removal. Um, I look at New York and Chicago and Boston, and they face things that a Los Angeles or Dallas aren't going to face. When you're a cold weather city and you're a major, major metropolis, um, to me, sometimes it's it's it, things aren't going to be perfect. There will be 
um, lines. There will be busyness. There will be crime. Like, the, do we? I wonder if we realize that sometimes, just how much there is that goes into a major, major city that's internationally known. No, I think you're right. I think it's a uh, big city means big city problems. But um, I know that we have very hardworking uh, staff at the city of Toronto working hard on all of those issues that you just mentioned. Um, snow is one of my favorite. I think as Canadians, we talk about the weather more than anybody else mm-hmm. in the world. And that's because one day, you know, here in Toronto, you can be minus 10 and the next you can be plus 10. And just given the, the big fluctuations that we have, um, there's, there's lots of work to be done, and certainly snow clearing operations are a really good example of that. We have 5,700 kilometers of road. We have 1,400 pieces of equipment that are out there working. And while it's never going to be perfect, I know that we have you know, many snowplowers that have been out overnight working really hard to get the city ready so people like myself and uh, you and everybody mm-hmm. listening can get into work this morning. Um, so, but you know, there will be problems. That's why we have three one one, and we encourage residents to call problems in and make us informed about them. I, I know I got about a minute here, but Councillor Madlow raised the idea of the city's contracts. How do those work? How long? How long do you do you uh, have a, a relationship with a private contractor? Do, are there different bids that come up for those? If you if somehow you weren't satisfied with the service, when would that come up again? So we just awarded the contract last December. And uh, the good news is that right now the same contractor is doing the roads, the sidewalks and the windrows, which means that there's better coordination between those. I mean, we all know what's mm-hmm. annoying when uh, you plow your, you plow your row, your, sorry, you uh, shovel the bottom of your driveway and then the plow comes in and it buries you back in. And then the windrow comes, yeah. you know, several hours later um, or they're not in sync. And so uh, we're hoping that with this new contractor, um, that will be better. And I certainly think that I've seen that better in the number of complaints that I've seen come into my office. The other thing that we're doing is we recognize with the humongous storm that we had last year that um, we need a service standard for really big snowfalls. That was uh, 80 centimeters, I believe it was. It was a humongous snowfall, um, something yeah. that we don't see regularly, but we do know now that that is something that we can expect more often. And so we'll city staff are working hard at that and we'll be reporting back soon on how we can improve sewer standards for those really, really big snowfalls. She's Deputy Mayor Jennifer McKelvey. Thanks very much for spending some time answering our questions and, and uh, good luck. Uh, I know we'll have another conversation soon. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you for having me. Deputy Mayor Jennifer McKelvey joining us. That uh, municipal election is Monday, June 25th. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Um, we've got a massive problem with uh, with housing. We know this. Like, it's a buying crisis. It's a renting crisis. I don't, I, I think we overdo the word crisis sometimes, but I don't think it's going too far to say we've got some problems here. One of the one of the things I saw yesterday, and I thought this makes perfect sense because I've lived in a high rise. I've lived in a duplex before. It, but I, but I was single with no kids. We're not building buildings that would allow a family to have enough space. So what do they do? They look for a semi-detached house or a house. They mortgage themselves to the hilt, and it's it's not sustainable. And if a partner loses a job or if the couple decides let's have another kid, um, everything changes around. We just other countries have figured this out. They've figured out how to build buildings properly and maintain rental control. And look, big cities are always going to be expensive. They always are. 
but not like this and not like how it's exploded in the last five years. There's no question about it. Um, writing an op-ed um, along a fellow MPP in the Toronto Star is NDP MPP Jessica Bell, and she joins us now on Toronto Today. It's always great to have you back on. Thanks very much. And I thought the piece was, I thought it summed up everything everything that's a problem right now in Ontario for, for renters and for buyers, Jessica. Uh, thank you so much for raising uh, that, Greg. Uh, it's, it is concerning if you live in a condo. You simply don't have enough consumer protections if you have issues with your property manager, your condo board, or the developer that built your building. There's really nowhere effective for you to turn. Um, this is this is a public accounts committee, and it's it's bipartisan. This joint report. Could I make the case that as much uh, as we differ, perhaps conservative MPPs, NDP MPPs, and yes, the eight liberal MPPs, that this is this is sort of a universal agreement that we're not doing well enough with housing, and we need more of it. We're just we're just using different ways and methods to get there. Uh, That's exactly right, Greg. Uh, This is a joint report that was signed off on by Conservative, NDP and Liberal MPPs. And the reason why that's so important is because all parties understand this is a nonpartisan issue. Mm -hmm. If you're living in a condo, which is often the most affordable thing that people can can buy if they want to get into the housing market, semi-detached homes, single-family homes are out of most people's price range now. You want to make sure if you buy that condo, that you have the protections that you need. So if your common room, your common areas aren't being built to, um, to what they're supposed to be built, if you've got flooding, if you have mold, if you have a, um, a condo board that's not holding free and fair elections, there should be an easy place for you to turn to, a number you can call so that you can get these common issues addressed because they can, have, they can wreak havoc on people's lives. They can make people very miserable if they're living in a big tower uh, and uh, it, it just can make people's lives very miserable. Jessica Bell is kind of to join us on 640 Toronto. Uh, she's an NDP MPP for University Rosedale. Um, do we make too much, I won't say in the media, but do we have too many conversations about the buyer and not enough about the renter? It, it's where most people start. Maybe it's where most people end. They sell their property. They decide, I don't need as big a place anymore, and I'm comfortable in retirement years or maybe even widowed years, and they say, I want to rent. There, there's a lot there, There's a lot more safeguards, a lot more tension maybe for the buyer than there is somebody who rents, which is quite precarious at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are a renter in Ontario today, uh, you are in a very difficult situation. We have record high rent prices. Uh, many people who rent are paying more than people who have a mortgage. They just don't, they're not lucky enough to have the down payment they need to buy a home. And there's not enough protections available to get your rental property properly maintained. We get calls from renters all the time uh, where their washroom's not working, the kitchen's not working. Uh, they just—they're not living in conditions that are safe and sanitary because they've got pests and they've also got children. And there's very little that they can do to, you know, hold their landlord to account to, you know, live in a safe and well-maintained home. And that is extremely concerning. There are good landlords out there. There are many good landlords out there, but there are also some landlords who are not following the rules, and it's renters that pay the price for that. How can we fix this? Well, there's a lot of things we can do. Uh, One, we need to build more purpose-built rentals Mm -hmm. that are bigger in size. Uh, Our housing sector right now is really good at building bachelor homes, one-bedroom homes, but they're not very interested in building those two- and three-bedroom apartments that families really need if they want to have two or three kids. And people want to have kids. 
another issue that we're seeing is that the Landlord-Tenant Board is just a broken tribunal. If you mm. have an issue, you're a tenant or a landlord, you could be waiting months, sometimes years, just to get your day in tribunal. And while you're waiting, the problems re- um, remain. It means that landlords could be out a whole lot of money because the renter is not paying their rent. And it means tenants are living in really difficult, unsafe, sometimes dirty conditions because there's nowhere for them to turn to. It's very easy to fix a landlord-tenant board. It just needs a bit more money and some mm. adjudicators so we can meet that 30-day time frame. You get a hearing in 30 days if you file a complaint and it's valid. Jessica, it's I, I'd, do. I'd almost bring up that, that student renters, that's almost an asterisk on onto itself. I'm sure anybody listening would remember what that's like, and you feel very on your own and, and very isolated. And if the landlord decides I'm going to hike the rent or the landlord decides I'm not going to fix something – I was lucky, like you said, there's some really good landlords out there, but I've I heard horror stories from friends of mine when your whole focus, when you're cash strapped, you're, you're paying a lot of money for tuition as it is, and your whole focus should be getting the proper university or college education. The last thing you want to worry about is leaky pipes, heat that doesn't work, uh, no water, n- no power. Like you can't, you can't ask 19, 20 year olds to be able to handle all that. Greg, you're 100% right. In my writing, I have University of Toronto. So I have yeah. many students who are living in, in conditions which are, you know, a parent would not want to know what, what their child is living in, quite frankly. Uh, and we're also seeing a lot of overcrowding. So in order to pay that $2,500, $3,000 a month rent for a two-bedroom apartment, you're seeing situations where people are sleeping in the lounge room because they just can't make it work unless there's multiple people in the home, four or five people. And what we're also seeing uh, in the housing market is that it's not just students who are in these really difficult situations. We're seeing people in their 20s, 30s, even 40s, as well as seniors, uh, being forced to live in you know, rental properties that are too small uh, and are too overcrowded and are not properly maintained because they can't save that $100,000, $200,000 to get a home. Our housing market is just it's way too expensive. It needs to be more affordable. That's it's really quite simple. What happens to your riding? Um, you raise an interesting issue. What happens to your riding if enrollment goes down for U of T? I, I think your riding. I think downtown thrives at times because of the eight months that that U of T is in operation and and Toronto Metropolitan is in operation. But you know and I know there's parents. I'm going to have that same conversation at, at at my kitchen table in 16 months or probably 12 months when when my kid commits to a university and we're going to lay it out and go, Toronto's really expensive. Like, like Mm -hmm. Hamilton is less. London is less. It's expensive to rent, live anywhere. I got it with inflation, but I think you'd concur. U of T and and, and TMU on their own um, are in a different stratosphere for, for what it costs for eight months to live there. You are a hundred percent right. We saw the impact of students leaving the downtown core during the pandemic Many of the businesses uh, along College Street, the downtown, uh, you know, hubs, they shuttered because their base, their customer base was students. We, we saw that loud and clear. And this speaks to the bigger issue of why we need to make renting affordable for our city. When renting is affordable for workers and students, m- Toronto becomes a desirable place to live. People want to stay here and live here, and it helps our economy overall. That's it's 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 win win. Uh, when we're sp- when we're making rent so high that people are choosing to move to other mm. provinces, which is what's happening right now. Yeah, our economy, businesses, everyone suffers as a result. Jessica Bell is our guest, uh, NDP MPP. All right, I got a couple minutes left. I want to ask you about yesterday uh, in Queens Park, and I said this a few days ago. I, I'm often as wrong as I am right, but I said I think we're I think we're getting too much focus 
on this, I'll, I'll put it this way, on this wedding, on this stag and doe, on who went, on... I, I, I think it got a little silly yesterday, Jessica. When I see the headline, who photographed guest list at Doug Ford's daughter's wedding, I worry our eyes are completely off the ball here. When it's about housing and it's about the green belt and it, it may be about the integrity commissioner. Are, are we losing our focus here? You know, um, <laughs> I, it, it, you know, it is it is we need to turn the focus away from Doug Ford's family and really focus it on Doug Ford and the Minister of Housing People are really concerned about whether the government gave developers a tip-off and told them in advance, hey, we're going to be opening up the Greenbelt. This is now a really good time for you to buy this land that's protected by farm easements for cheap, and then we're going to open it up and you're going to make more money than you've ever dreamed. That's where people are really worried about. That's the kind of calls I'm getting into my office right now, especially when we're also seeing reports coming out. And one just came out yesterday telling us loud and clear that we do not need to build on farmland and greebelt land in order to meet our housing supply needs and address our housing affordability crisis. We already have more than enough land to build the homes that we need. And I really do think that's where our focus um, needs to be. And most people understand. I, I'm, well, I think, I think the NDP's, there's an onus on, on your party to, to, to get it there because you're right. I, I'm a voter. I don't care whether it was at the stag and doe, the wedding on a golf course at a pub. I just care whether it happened or not. I care who knew what, when, but I don't care how much tickets were to a stag and doe. Does that make sense? I'm hearing you loud and clear, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> and you were and you weren't at the stag and doe, and you didn't take any photos there. We're going to go one by one with uh, with NDP MPPs, and I'm sure right. you, I'm sure you no. had better things to do that day. I feel like possibly Premier Premier Ford did not invite me to his daughter's wedding. No. Well, there's there's always the next one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, thanks very much for the time this morning. I always appreciate the conversation. Thank you, and have a good day. Jessica Bell joining us. Uh, She's housing critic uh, for the NDP. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. Insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird about it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> okay, in or out. Yesterday was dating um, first dates as uh, going to the movies. Thought to be a worst, uh, the one of the worst ideas imaginable, and most of you agreed. Friday we did bears. We're all over the place here today. It's all about this. <laughs> Monday Night Curling with your announcers, Dandy Dick Bedlow, Gord McKee, and Gord McClellan. You'll be there for all the exciting play-by-play action and color commentary, as well as the weekly curling tips with Howie McMeeker. Big fan of Howie McMeeker and the fact that of the three commentators on Monday Night Curling, that's an SCTV sketch on CBC programming, two of the commentators are named Gord, which doesn't get confusing. No, that's a very Canadian. That's very- a very Canadian broadcast. <laughs> if two of the three commentators are named Gord, forget yeah. Howie McMeeker. <laughs> um, so our in or out is curling, and you might be shocked to know a two things. Uh, one, here's a stat. Here's something to know: uh, seventy thousand Torontonians went curling in a twelve-month span prior to the pandemic before February of 2020 that's a lot that's a lot of people in toronto partaking in curling and b our own shiba siddiqui went curling on the weekend (laughs) what on earth 
I did. So it was my birthday weekend and I spent my actual birthday day because I decided to have a hundred kids. Uh, I spent it at two basketball tournaments, one hockey tournament and a Taekwondo belt test. That was my actual birthday day. I knew it was coming. We're not going to make them, you know, miss anything. So we celebrated on Saturday. You only Saturday. turned 38 once and, oh. <laughs> and it's really important to document we, that. We celebrated on Saturday yeah. and I've been wanting to try curling forever, but I just honestly, I find it's really expensive. It's like 500 or 600 bucks for four introductory classes. I'm not spending 600 bucks on something if I don't even know if I like it. Uh, so I just found that to be really, really expensive. So I've always been sort of holding back on it. But then there was this family learn to curl that showed up in our inbox. Uh, and he asked me, hey, do you want to do this for your birthday? And I, I jumped all over it. Anything active mm -hmm. and physical and especially, you know, well, this wasn't outdoors, but you know what I mean. I just active things. I love it. If it's if my family can do it with me, all the better. So I've been watching the Olympics. I've been watching curling. In my mind, I'm a professional curler already, Brady. I know exactly how to do it. We showed up. Uh, we had all these instructions, what to wear, what kind of shoes to wear. You get grouped off. Very organized. That's right. Tw 20 bucks a person for two hours. Amazing price. So we get there. We go down to the ice. We figure out what – I learned all these terms. What, we're on sheet two. We had our wonderful instructor, Rebecca, who was very patient. I would not be able to be that patient. And here's what I learned. Curling is so hard. It is a total workout. It was very, very difficult. Only because there's so much technique that you have to remember all at the same time. It's like with anything new that you're learning, but just even like how your flexibility and how low down to the ground you have to get. Uh, but it is extremely fun. I have a whole new respect for any any curlers out there. Okay, so you did, yeah, and so that was your very first time. You had not done it before this never. past weekend. No, never. Um, so we're asking four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. Are you in or out on curling? And you can talk about participating in it, or you could even talk about uh, watching it. I've tried it four times. Friends of ours love it, and they would have they invite a bunch of couples out, and and so we take up like all the sheets at at a at a club on on like a saturday night so i've done it maybe terms. four times two things one your lower body feels it the next day you wouldn't oh, yeah, believe absolutely. that it would but it does like i can play two hours of tennis and not feel it in my hamstrings and calves yes. like you've got to how do i put it you got to go down low and i don't go down low i'm not and stretch out and stretch out yes and really stretch out so i'm saying you have to be flexible and you could so. fall like you're trying to lean on the rock when you let go of the rock some people have the broom in their hand and then there's an also a little bit of an aid i don't know how to put it did you use the aid no i didn't down? i used the broom i used the okay. broom i didn't fall most other people that were there fell there's a lot of falling names. involved yes but i didn't fall but i had the broom mm. i didn't have the my younger kids used the aid um, but by the, by the end of the two hours, we had the hang of it. We knew what we were doing. We knew how to play. Mm. Uh, it's so much fun. I'm definitely going to be trying it again. I recommend it for anybody who'd be interested in trying it. It's just the physicality of it is what surprised me. Yeah. So I'm, I look, I gotta be honest. I'm out, but I'm so impressed by people who do it. And I'm You're really glad I why? tried it. I just, if I could just sweep, that'd be great. <laughs> if I could tell people where to throw the rock direct people and then also just sweep and may act like I'm making a difference. I so sweeping is a workout too though. It's cardio. It's very much cardio. And but what I couldn't tell was really how much impact the sweeper makes. And here's what I'd say, <laughs> Gord, like like the sweeper's gonna say that they make a big impact. It's a little bit like an orchestra conductor. Yeah. When I've gone 
when you go as a kid and, or, or somebody comes to your school and it's an orchestra, you're like, well, of course he'd say he's really important because he's out of a job otherwise. Yeah, exactly. The sweepers are going to say we're really important. I feel they are important. I feel like the, the, the stone goes faster when you're sweeping. <laughs> it has. I guess it has to. The physics of it makes sense. I just don't know to what percentage. Like, so... You know me. I, I, I know everything about every sport, but I can't tell for this one what the impact is of the actual sweeper and whether it's a, it's a real strategy as to whether to do the hurry hard I thing think, or not. I think the sweeper comes into play as the game goes on because the ice isn't as fresh. Right, because it's clean, and then that's it gets a like word a, salad of oh, of an expert. Come on, you don't know how. What do you mean fresh? There isn't a zamboni. Nobody cleans it between the ends. And the ice is bumpy. Yeah, exactly. It's that's not what I'm smooth. Saying. It's bumpy. Yeah, but at the start okay. of the game, it's it's been cleaned. It's all fresh. Mm. Just watch it on TV, and as he as it goes along, it get, it gets. Not so fresh. I admit, I've never gone like the Briar is in London. This uh, this it starts like Friday, and I'd love to. I, I think it it as a spectator sport. There's something to it. Like they never have problems selling out the Briar at these big hockey arenas for nine, ten, eleven thousand people. They never have a problem. Tickets are twenty three dollars to start. People go. They drink beer. They have a good time. You can also have a beer while playing the sport, Gord. And like Ooh. you can't really do that with <laughs> tennis. Like outside of golf, billiards, darts, and curling, where can you really have a beer and have yes, it not catch up to you later in the later in the day? Yeah. So, Greg, you're out. Gordon, out. You in or out? Um, I well, I've never participated, so I can't say <laughs> if I'm in or out. So, I like watching it on TV. I'm in on that that part for sure. I mean, the strategy involved is just it's amazing. Sometimes those the way they thread the needle in the Olympics is just it blows. It my is mind. amazing. Yeah, yes. it must be something to watch in person. All right, our our that's our in or out is uh, is curling.